and welcome to the Newberry Report, where grown women read children's books and argue about them. And today on the podcast, we're talking about Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry by Mildred D. Taylor. Hello, and welcome to the Newberry Report. I'm Carrie Kasten. With me, as always, is Carolyn Burns. Hello, Carolyn. Hi, Carrie. Good to see you. Good to see you as always. I wish the audience could see you, but they can't. Someday. Um, and we have a special guest today, Ashley Wilson. Yay! Hello. Hello. You can clap for yourself, too, oh. if you want. <laughs> Great. You seem less excited about you than we are excited oh. about you. I'm okay with me. I'm cool. <laughs> you get to hang out with you all. <laughs> I do. So um, we'll start, as we always do, with a brief summary in case it's been years since you read it, either in school or of your own volition at an appropriate age, although any age is appropriate for reading. Am I right? Totally right. Totally right. Don't just nod, Carolyn. They need to hear your voice. <laughs> I'm reading the back of this book, and it says ages 10 and up. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. It does, like a game or something. Yeah. <laughs> Monopoly and Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. <laughs> ages 10 and up. Okay, great. So, uh, Carolyn, you want to... Treat us to a reading of uh, the back of the book. Sure. Well, Carrie, you and I have the same edition, and our back of the book is quite short. Humiliation and fear seem to rule the lives of Cassie Logan and her family, but they have one thing that no one can take away, their land. And with that to hold them together, nothing can tear them apart. Ashley, you have a different book. I do. I have a different edition, but it actually has one of the same quotes from yours. Uh, (laughs) And it starts with, With the land to hold them together, nothing can tear the Logans apart. Why is the land so important to Cassie's family? It takes the events of one turbulent year, the year of the Night Riders and the Burnings, the year a white girl humiliates Cassie in public simply because she is black, to show Cassie that having a place of her own is the Logan family's lifeblood. It is the land that gives the Logans their courage and pride. No matter how others may degrade them, the Logans possess something no one can take away. And I thought it was interesting, too, the New York Times book review on the back says, Taylor writes not with rancor or bitterness of indignities, but with pride, strength, and respect for humanity. What do you like about that? I like it because I feel the same way. I really, I believe that the the content in this book, the things that are covered, um, could be very easy to write about in a bitter or hateful or, or angry way. And I think she really... Um, does a good job at explaining things um, in a seemingly kind of objective way, in a loving way. So, Cool. Um, so what we usually start off with, Ashley, as our listeners at home know, is um, whether we liked it or not, because it, everything that we're going to say about the book is inherently going to be influenced by whether we liked it or not. Um, so, Carolyn, did you like it? No. Brains are blown. Uh, I felt very ambivalent about it. it. Nothing really struck me very, very strongly with this. And, and nothing really left that strong of an impression. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to hear why everyone else enjoyed it so much. You don't know what we think. <laughs> uh, that's true. I'm interested to know if other people enjoyed it or not. Great. Uh, well... Ashley, Carolyn is interested to know, did you like it or not? It's one of my favorite books. Aww. This is one of my third time. This is my third time reading it, and I would love to read it more. I also liked it. I found it so interesting. The um, the bit about the land. The land was in in Ashley in your back of the book, but not not in what Carolyn and I read. And um, for fun, I'm just going to jump to that last line <laughs> of the book. Spoilers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
where she says, uh, I cried for TJ, for TJ and the land. So, like, there is the ground, the land, the, it's like this very strong presence that I, uh, as someone that, like, lives in a city and on the seventh floor and takes elevators, the ground isn't something I think about. And, like, mud was, like, very visceral for me. Um, I don't know if you guys... Ashley, you're nodding. I feel like you want to say something about mud. Well, I feel like the land is almost like a character in and of itself in this book. I yeah. mean, like... and and But also, furthermore, like, nature actually plays a role. Like, on the first day of school, it's beautiful out, and it makes it even more miserable that they have to go to school. They'd love to be running barefoot through the forest and the cool green trails, and it just... It sounds picturesque. And then, you know, other parts in the book, there's a horrible, like, lightning storm, you know, that really punctuates, like, thunder and lightning that punctuates so many parts in this book. Even leading up to that part, like, the sky took on a strange yellowish tint, you know, things like that. And I think that throughout the book, constantly, the land is the, you know, that kind of like the unifying thing that like we pulls all it all together. live on this land together. And ultimately, it's the land that brings everybody together at the end. And yet everything is so st- stuck. I, can't, I couldn't get over I forget where it was that I, I wrote this, but, like, I literally wrote stuck in the mud. And it just, like, on <laughs> chapter four, like, first page of chapter four, I was like, that's where we are. We're stuck in this, like, dirty nastiness of, like, humanity. Ugh, how do we get out of this? And, like, you can't, as you were mentioning before, actually, like, the weather, like, it's constantly either too dry or too wet. And there's, like, no happy medium. And they're only happy ostensibly like when they're picking cotton but it's really just because they have agency in that in those times it's not because they like they enjoy working together and being with their family but like i found it overwhelming you didn't you didn't feel any of that you i mean i did and i don't i don't know if it's too early to deviate from the text itself and sort of go into the historical connotations but the the book is written in it's never too early (laughs) the book is is set in the 30s um, which is sort of the time of these like Jim Crow laws and the segregation and sort of um, freedom still being a newer thing. But it's written in the time of like the Black Power Movement, the Civil Rights Movement, and from an author who was very prevalent in the Civil Rights Movement. And I think that that can't be pushed aside yeah, or like, disregarded. No, I think that's important. I, uh, I, I think I'm jumping on what you're talking about, but let me know if I'm not. It occurred to me while I was reading this book, like at what point, is, is there a kid somewhere in America that sits in a classroom the first day they talk about slavery and goes, we did what? You know, like, is it a shock to anyone ever? Because I, that's not how I remember my history classes ever being. Like, And I was like, but the idea of slavery is like, almost incomprehensible, like that it felt appropriate at any point for any person to do that to any other person. And you would think, I mean, I imagine, I don't know, you can tell me if your classes were different, like, shouldn't have there been a kid that like raised their hand and was like, but why? It's just mind blowing. And I, so I was thinking like, well, I don't know, maybe it's because I was raised Catholic. And so you learn about the Israelites being enslaved by the Egyptians, like, you know, when you're three and four and like that's just like part of the history so it's not that surprising that humanity did that later on I guess maybe but no it's like awful so I liked that this book in particular like it's at a time where you know there's no Wikipedia obviously there's no like the information is is hardly readily available Mildred Taylor says like in her author's note it's almost all oral like it's almost all stories and the stories. Um, die with the person that tells them, except to the extent that anyone remembers them enough. Um, but they're a different story when someone else is telling them, right? So it's like there's that scene, that gosh, that scene where where Mama is explaining to Cassie like what it means in this town in this time for her to be black, 
and for Lily James, Lillian, L- Lillian Jean, Jean, for Lillian Jean to be white, and for Lillian Jean's family to be white. And it's like she explains to her the history of slavery in a way that suggests that now at nine, she didn't really know it, um, or at least she didn't know the ramifications of socially and economically. Um, which, like, I mean, I hear you. Like, why should a nine-year-old <laughs> need to know social and economic I mean, according to this book, she shouldn't even be reading this yet. She shouldn't know it yet. Yeah. This is ten and over yeah. only. <laughs> yeah, which, like, we can talk about how this book says that, like, how age is different. Like, at 13, he's basically a man. Um, like, he, at 12, went down to Louisiana by himself, <laughs> the older brother, and came back. What? Like, you have to have a flight attendant sit with you if you're under 10, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're not even allowed to stay home alone, technically. I yeah, think it's illegal. Legal. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, depending on the state, but yeah. So, I don't know. I've, I felt a lot, and I'm just curious if anyone felt equally impacted. I did feel impacted, and I think that this story is very strong and has a, a really good grasp on the time frame that it is depicted in and in the time frame that it was written in. Yeah. But for me personally, it felt like it was just leaning on this hot button issue and Mm -hmm. on the topic of slavery and of inequality and of segregation and all of these issues that needed to be talked about at the time because and still need to be talked about today. But I I personally felt that it it did it at the detriment of plot and Mm. character structure and and really flushing out these people as as full human beings. And it felt to me so one note at times that I was like, I get it. Which is an awful thing to be thinking when you're when you're reading things that, that are, you know, have such such hefty weight to them. But I, I wanted more character development. Kind of heavy handed, maybe. Yeah, heavy handed. Yes. Um, for me, I, I guess um, I, I read something about uh, Black History Month and somebody stated that one of the biggest uh, travesties of Black History Month is that we actually don't study slavery. The things kids learn during Black History Month are not slavery. They learn about, you know, prominent black people, which is wonderful. They should. But slavery is a huge part of the American black experience. And it's still to this day we are, you know, seeing effects of that. And so I think um, this book is very valuable because it really paints a picture of things that truly happened. And it's they're very small examples. I mean, a burning you know, mm-hmm. threatening to get lynched. Somebody got tarred and feathered. But these things happened not just a few times, but per, like so often. And it's like, you know, the all that a black man would have to do was to be accused of like coming on to a white woman. And this could have been his fate. And I think like the fact that somebody like a six-year-old little man is terrified of getting burned is so shocking and insane, and it makes you it, it lets you know how warm and safe we feel every night in our beds. And the fact that these kids, I mean, a whole generation of people grew up in the South, and that's what their day-to-day life was like. I mean, school buses running the kids off the road. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's insane. Like, a, an adult man, you know, with a car threatening young children. It just, I don't know. I guess I just feel like um, maybe there, it's... Maybe it is a little heavy-handed, but considering the subject matter and considering how lightly it's covered when in our grade schools and elementary schools, I think it's incredibly important that children read this book and understand uh, some of the gravity that actually was attached to 
these night riders and slavery and, the, and, and that slavery didn't just end and it wasn't just over. What I liked about it is that, um, uh, Carolyn, we've talked about this before about like sometimes books are in, you know, point of view, right? Sometimes they're in first person, sometimes they're in second person, third person, whatever. Well, rarely are they in second unless it's a choose your own adventure. But anyway, like because we were I right away, it I was just like, I was, I'll be honest, I, because that was I right away and because uh, I read the author's note, which made me think a lot of Sounder. Again, I hate to compare it to Sounder, but it, it sort of like begs for the comparison. <laughs> and uh, Sounder starts with a, with an author's note. Have you read Sounder, Ashley? I haven't. Okay, it's okay. Um, Just listen to our podcast. Yes, I will. Go back to listen. Um, uh, you'll get everything that's important. <laughs> All the spoilers. Yeah. Um, and so I sort of felt the the author's note in Sounder is sort of used as a scapegoat for why he as a white man feels comfortable telling the story of a black sharecropping family. And so uh, I did Google. As soon as I saw there was an author's note, I gildered, Googled Mildred Taylor because I, I honestly didn't know anything about her. And I was like, okay. Um, I mean, I hate to say I breathed a sigh of relief that she was black, but I was like, okay, so it's not going to be an excuse, this author's note. Great. And then it was about her father, and it was sort of sweet, you know, because the dedication is to her father. Mm -hmm. She talks about, from my father, the storyteller, I learned to respect the past, to respect my own heritage and myself. And I was like, great, this is what storytelling is about. This is why we have books. And then she gets to the last paragraph. My father died last week. And I was like, oh, okay. And so, like, that's where I am. And I, like, turn the first page. And we are I, right? And we are us. And we are, and so like, I was, I was in it. I was in it right away. And I don't know how fair that is, but I'm also not ten, you know. So like, and I know what slavery is, and I have a a, a poor concept, but a concept of how horrible it is, right? And I have like some sense of tragedy. And so I don't know. For me, that put me right back with the character. So we get like, yeah, right. We get to the like white people are treating black people real bad, real bad. Right. Like right away with the buses and everything. And then we get to this. We see the scene in Strawberry. So Cassie finally gets to go with Big Mama to the big town of Strawberry, <laughs> which has my favorite description Strawberry was nothing like the tough, sprawling bigness I had envisioned. It was instead a sad red place. <laughs> I'm so glad it's red because <laughs> it's called strawberry. Strawberries are red. <laughs> <laughs> but she gets to go with Big Mama, with her grandmother, to the market to sell um, to sell uh, the extra uh, food that they have and, you know, uh, whatever they're selling, produce and things. And uh, we sort of think, like Cassie, oh, they don't get to go with her because they're not old enough or they're not, you know, they're, this is a luxury or this is a, a big kid thing. And then we find out very quickly that it's because they don't want Cassie and the children to understand this dynamic of how white people treat black people and they don't want them to be part of it and they're protecting them. Um, and so it becomes so much more painful of like, oh, she didn't want you to come. She didn't want you to see this and she didn't want you to be part of this and she wanted you – they all wanted you to, like, believe good things about yourself, as any parent does. And so Cassie gets really pissed, right? When um, So she has an interaction with Lillian Jean where they, she runs into her and Lillian Jean, like, is like, you have to apologize. You walk on the street. Don't walk on the sidewalk. And the father of Lillian Jean comes and, like, also starts to sort of verbally and then physically assault Cassie. And Big Mama comes and, and forces her to apologize. And Cassie is pissed and is so mad at Big Mama for it. We have this whole conversation. We go back home and Uncle Hammer is there. And despite all of Big Mama's, like, attempts to thwart it, Cassie tells the whole story. 
um, to Uncle Hammer, and he storms out, and Mama gets pissed, <laughs> rightfully so, <laughs> at Cassie. Uh, Mama says, Stacy tells me you blame Big Mama for what happened today. Is that right? And Cassie, I thought over her question and answered, not for all of it, just for making me apologize to that old, dumb Lillian Jean Sims. She oughtn't have done that, Mama. Papa wouldn't have. And Mama says back, I don't want to hear what Papa would have done, Mama snapped, or what Mr. Morrison would have done or Uncle Hammer. You were with Big Mama, and she did what she had to do. And so all of a sudden it's like, oh, God, it's not just <laughs> race. It's also gender. <laughs> like This is awful. Like, not, not only is there a discrepancy between her and the white people in the in her neighborhood, but also her and male figures. <laughs> and it's just like, ah, this is, it just keeps getting worse. Uh, and I thought this book did it, where it may have been heavy-handed with race, I thought was interestingly subtle about, about uh, gender. Um, well, uh, going back to, like, just the mama talking to Cassie after the strawberry incident, um, I think that's, like, just a, for me, it was a very, it's a powerful uh, point in the book because um, growing up, I always realized I was a different color than other people. I didn't. Well, actually, it came at a certain age. Like I, I didn't really notice it until I was about five, and so it was kind of shocking for me. I remember when I read this when I was twelve years old, and it was very shocking for me for her not to realize that being black and being white that there was a difference, or you know that she had a different place because of the color of her skin. Because I, I feel like I grew up acutely aware of that. Um, but I encountered racism at in first grade, like at the Catholic school that I went to. So I guess uh, it was just very, it was very shocking to me because, you know, the, the fact that she's like, the, the, you know, that mama's trying to explain to Cassie that Mr. Sims thinks that Lillian Jean is better than Stacy or Christopher John or Little Man or Cassie for that matter. And Cassie doesn't understand. She thinks, oh, because it's his daughter. And mom has to go, no, because she's white. And Cassie's next words are, ah, shoot, white ain't nothing. And that's just like, it's so, it's, it's, it's kind of heartbreaking as an adult to have, to witness this moment of this nine-year-old little girl really starting to understand what's at stake here and how it's going to work for her for the rest of her life. We have to take a quick pause. We'll be right back. This episode of the Newberry Report is sponsored by Payfully. Renting your home or spare room can be a great way to earn some extra income, but actually getting paid can take months. That's where Payfully comes in. Payfully is a safe and secure way to get paid for your upcoming reservations within 24 hours of them being booked. Payfully deposits directly into your bank account with funds usually available the same day. It works with all the major platforms, Airbnb, VRBO, HomeAway, and others, and they've helped thousands of hosts expand their business or cover unexpected expenses. Visit payfully.co, that's P-A-Y-F-U-L-L-Y dot C-O, for $20 off your first request with code NEWBERRY. That's payfully.co, promo code NEWBERRY, N-E-W-B-E-R-Y. Hello, listeners. Are you a business owner? Your next customer might be listening right now, just like you are. You can let them know who you are by sponsoring this show. Just email us at hello at citizenracecar.com. That's H-E-L-L-O at citizenracecar.com. 
back to our conversation about Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. So I found through some external resources that a lot of people consider this to be a coming-of-age story. And I have to disagree. Uh, And the reason behind that is that I don't think that this is a story of Cassie's coming-of-age. I think it's a story of her finding some stuff out and sort of learning a little bit about, like, how things, like, quote, are or, like, the way things work. Um, But she's the only one in her family that doesn't seem to, like, really get, like, the the larger implications of this. Um, and the whole family, from from start to finish, you sort of get this idea that, like, they are very, like, passive and they are doing these um, acts of civil disobedience, like doing the boycott on the store and when Mama puts the covers on the books, which she's not supposed to, things like that. Um, and everyone is very, like, passive and, and, and trying to just be good people. And she's the only one that takes the violent approach of the, the black family. Well, her and uh, Uncle Hammer... You're right. Correct. <laughs> I have it recorded now that I'm right. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting. You know, she she's learning all these lessons as she goes. And maybe it's just because, like, there is a little bit of a learning curve and there is so much anger coming from being the one that's disillusioned. But she specifically goes off into the woods with Lillian Jean and, and has this violent inter- inter- violent altercation with her and comes back from it just being like, yep. Like, I win. I'm better than you. Like, haha, I figured it out. And and it's directly opposite of what her family is trying to teach her. But I actually feel like that's not true um, as far as what her family is trying to teach her, because her 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 father teaches has a beautiful part where he teaches her that, you know, she's not going to be the last white person that treats you like this. And, there, you know, there's going to be many more. But basically, you have to pick and choose your battles. Mm-hmm. And if this is going to eat away at you for the rest of your life, then you need to take it. But be careful and pick and choose wisely. And I think that's I think that was the whole thing. I mean, she used her brains to get Lillian Jean into a place where Lillian Jean really couldn't fight back. Um, she she let Lillian Jean confide in her. She carried her books. She kissed up to her and, you know, really like made Lillian Jean, you know, depend on Cassie. And then Lillian Jean trusted her enough to be led off the path. And Cassie took her her moment. Uh but I think also uh, later on in the novel, you know, something else happens and, and, and Hammer, you know, does something with his car that, you know, causes Mama to say, you know, they, all the kids laugh and everything's great. But Mama says that will cost us one day. And I think that's the balance is like that what Cassie did very well could have cost her, her and her family her life. Lillian Jean still could have told. And it was extremely dangerous. And I think part of it is um, – What's really interesting about this book is I think it presents that point of view is like, I wouldn't have put up with that. I would have fought back. I would have said no. I wouldn't have stepped down off that sidewalk. I would have told those people like that it's not right to treat people like this. But where would that have gotten you? It would have gotten you and your family killed. It would have made you lose your land. It would have made, you know. And also like for what? Like for like, why did you do this in the larger scheme of things? But also there's a wonderful moment at the end of that passage, right? But right after. So Cassie lures Lillian Jean into the forest and uh, has this opportunity when no one's there and no one watches her to beat her up because she is prepared for this. And that's sort of what her idea was. And at the end, Lillian Jean goes like, why, Cassie? Why Why did you do this? You were such a nice little girl. And there's a passage in the book, and it's, uh, it's from oh, Cassie's yeah. point of view. And she says, I stared at her astonished. Then I turned and left the forest, not wanting to believe that Lillian Jean didn't even realize it had all been just a game. 
Like, she didn't get the fact because she had been, like, following her around, carrying her books from her, like, inherently, like, earning her trust, getting her blackmail, uh, like, topics down so that she had something to use against her. And then at the end, like, she didn't even understand. Like, Lily and Jean didn't even understand. And it's just so heartbreaking. You're like, you did all of that for all of this. And in the end, like, your your point isn't even being made other than the fact that, like, yeah, you got to slap her around a little bit and that sure feels good. But, like, now what? She's going to go off and be like, that black girl hit me for no good reason and not understand that, like, no, it, it was retribution for what you had done to her. But at the same time, I don't think – uh, Cassie attacking, beating up Lillian Jean had anything to do with li- teaching Lillian Jean a lesson as much as it felt good to Cassie to be vindicated. Yeah. And it would have eaten away at her and that would have made her bitter and angry and only probably snowballed into something worse later on. It feels like almost that's what happened to Hammer, right? Like he just, like he just kept getting more angry with every time he – and now he can't even live down there. What do you think he does? <laughs> He he's so got a man's job. Yeah, man's job. It makes him lots of money in the city, yeah. in the big city. <laughs> I This may be a product of, like, where we are now, but as soon as I heard that he, like, had no family and no wife, I was like, he's gay, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's gay, doing gay stuff in Chicago. It's where all of his pent-up anger comes <laughs> from. <laughs> I hate to bring up things out of order because I know our fans are so attached to the order, but I, <laughs> but I, I keep wanting to bring up the things that I underlined as our illusion of life or our metaphor or um, or parable for the way that life is or works, um, either in the books or in life that we know, and um, because it's it's in, intrinsically tied to the lessons that um, that Cassie learns, I think, in the book. So I had um, two and a half. <laughs> It's too many, Carrie. It's too many. It's a 45-minute podcast. <laughs> too many illusions. Um, but they're sort of all in the same theme. Like, I could not escape this one theme, and it's restated a couple of times. So I just want to – I'll just go through them quickly, and then you guys can show me what you thought. The first one is from uh, the incident at Strawberry, as we are now pseudo-affectionately referring to it. <laughs> right after the, the um, incident the, at the store, where she asked the uh, storekeeper to stop – letting other people in front of them and to just fill their order like he asked, like they asked. Um, and he get, uh, Stacey pulls Cassie out of the store and Cassie is pissed. And she's like, this makes no sense. Why are we all accept? Like, why are we okay with this? Would you like, I feel like is the whole theme of the book. Like, why are we okay with this? Uh, Cassie says to, to, um, to Stacey, what's the matter with you? You know he was wrong. And Stacey flushed, swallowed, Stacey swallowed to flush his anger and then said gruffly, I know it and you know it. But he don't know it. And that's where the trouble is. And I was like, whoa, that is so succinctly the reason we have any problems at all. <laughs> uh, I mean, I just think it's beautiful. I don't. I, I have another one, but I, I want to leave you space. To... It's in the uh, latter part of the book. But uh, Stacy's mad at uh, Mr. Lanier and Mr. Avery because they said that they're not going to shop in Vicksburg anymore because they can't. Uh, because they've been basically threatened. Um, and Stacy makes a comment about them being scared as jackrabbits and kind of puffs up his chest and said, well, I wouldn't do that. That's not what I would do. I would do this. And his papa teaches him a lesson. And um, then he ends up talking about how basically like how they're like the land. And I think that was like really beautiful to me. It was, uh, you see that fig tree over yonder, Cassie? The mother trees all around? 
That oak and walnut, they're a lot bigger and they take up more room and give so much shade they almost overshadow that little old fig. But that fig tree's got roots that run deep and it belongs in that yard as much as that oak and that walnut. It keeps on blooming, bearing good fruit year after year, knowing all the time it'll never get as big as them other trees. Just keeps on growing and doing what it gotta do. It don't give up. It give up, it'll die. There's a lesson to be learned from that little tree, Cassie girl, because we're like it. We keep doing what we gotta, and we don't give up. We can't. That was my illusion as well. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Five. I mean, I mean, to be fair, it literally says there's a lesson to be learned from that little tree. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's it very succinctly sort of ties it all together. Yeah, I yeah. think so. The other one I had um, that is sort of along the same theme as what Stacy was saying, and this is um, a, a section you were. Alluding to earlier, Ashley, about the father telling Cassie that, you know, if something's going to eat away at you, you got to handle it in the way that you need to handle it. And um, what he says to her is, there are things you can't back down on, things you got to take a stand on, but it's up to you to decide what them things are. How you carry yourself, what you stand for, that's how you gain respect. But little one, ain't nobody's respect worth more than your own. And I was like, but how does that work <laughs> in, this, in the world that you are in? And you can't even do that, really. Um, and I don't. And so, because of the lessons that are being taught to Cassie, and I think this is part of the reason that people probably assert that it's a coming of age story. Although I also have to agree with you, Carolyn. I don't want this to be a coming of age story mm-hmm. because that suggests that this is a world that she has to learn about. And like, of course, like I don't want that to be true. <laughs> but I almost think of it more as a growing up story. I guess I feel like a coming-of-age story is, like, kind of, um, it's a small, like, it's it's more about, like, th- that point where you, you know, you pass from being a child into, uh, you know, a, a semi-adult, right? But I guess I feel like they're still kids at the mm-hmm. end of this book. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's... She doesn't get her period. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, she she certainly knows more things about the world and understands the way things work in a totally different way than she does at the beginning of the book, which, yeah, like the, you know, starting out with the books and ending with crying for TJ. That's a big growth spurt. Then I found this thing was probably my favorite line in the whole book. Um, and it's uh, it's near the end when the Wallace and the Sims have gone to the Avery's house and they're trying to find TJ. Um, after the whole strawberry incident two, the second strawberry incident. Um, and they're pulling Claude out, and Christopher John is, like, so upset. And um, and they have – this is beyond anything that they could have expected, despite that they've seen a man nearly burned alive, that they've heard about lynching, that they know all of – they think they know and feel like they know all of the possible bad things, like actually watching it happen and – Understanding that someone believes a certain thing and watching them act on that belief are like two utterly different experiences. And now here they are watching people execute their beliefs. And um, Stacy says, we got to get help because they've been hiding in the forest because they've just dropped TJ off into what apparently was a trap, um, which is also interesting because they thought TJ was trying to trap them. And it turns out that they actually led TJ right back into a trap that had been set for TJ. And... Um, Stacy says, we we got to get help, but none of us could move. I watched the world from outside myself, and I was just like, yeah. <laughs> I watched the world from outside myself. Like, that's beautiful and so true and so what I feel like when I don't understand what's happening around me. It's like I can't, I can't be here then. 
like if this utterly incongruous action or activity is like taking place, I can't be, I, I must not be here and I can't emotionally be here. So that was my other illusion of life, but it's a little more negative. <laughs> I, think she, I think Mildred Taylor has a, a beautiful gift for language. Yeah. Is something I felt throughout the book. But you want to talk about TJ. Oh, I always want to talk about TJ. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, boy. <laughs> what a journey with that guy. There's a lot to unpack with that character. Um, he sort of is their foil for a lot of the novel. And, and you know, towards the end of the novel, you start to see him more as the victim. And you're kind of being set up for this ending where you're supposed to feel for him because the first 75 percent of the book, everyone just hates TJ. Uh, you sort of are set up to dislike him inherently because he's a bad guy. He gets their mother fired. He gets... uh, And doesn't even remember it because he was, I guess, blackout drunk when it happened or whatever. Does he not remember it or is he lying? Yeah, I don't know. Later on in the book, he confesses it too. So he he remembers it. I think it just he didn't want to, you know... Yeah, he got Stacy in trouble for for cheating on a test when it was him. He got his mother fired purposely. You know, he's he's set up as this like awful guy that really only has uh, himself in mind. and He doesn't really have this empathy that the family really strongly teaches to their children and, and you can see how much it bothers them and uh, and to compare him to Jeremy, my second favorite character of the book, uh, who's this little white boy that all he wants to do is be friends with his family uh, and and there's this, and they they can't do it they they're like no you're white we're black like I think it's easy to it's easy to think of this sort of story as like a story about racism, but it I think that the character of Jeremy really pulls in the fact that like racism is a two way street, and the the family sits down or the I'm sorry, and the father sits down with the kids and says, you know, Jeremy might be a great kid, but at the end of the day, it's really not the appropriate time to be a friend. Well, for and there's a, a a power dynamic that's implicit in the way that their society works that makes them always want to question where he's coming from, which is interesting because they seem to trust Mr. Jameson, but I imagine that's because there's a there's a financial relationship. They pay him to be the lawyer. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was yeah. going to say, I have stuff to say about Charlie Sims, though. I mean, Jeremy Sims, sorry, not oh, Charlie yeah. Sims. Yeah. Because um, I think uh, one of the things I remember being very struck with the first time I read this book was um, the distrust that black people might feel towards whites. And... Um, it's it's shocking in a way. In this day and age, it's shocking, you know, to think that like, oh, people are not going to trust somebody else based on the color of their skin. But, you know, our the United States has done did that for a very long time, right? And um, I guess I felt like this book kind of made you understand why someone might feel a bit skeptical of kindness being given to them. Like a black person might feel skeptical of kindness being given to them from a white person. Now, I think here's the thing. I think uh, the the Logan children like Jeremy much more than they like TJ. They allow him to hang out with them. He can just lay and be quiet and, and enjoy and nature with says, them. And he might be a better friend to me than TJ ever yes, could. Yes, exactly. Um, but I think that the thing is, is like, yeah, Jeremy did speak up and he's shown himself to try to be a very good friend. But what effect does he have on his father when his father is raging? Nothing. I mean, his father does not re- regard him. And in fact, Jeremy even talks about how he sleeps in a treehouse at night, which sounds like he probably doesn't have the best relationship with his family. Sounds like he's a little different than them. He's kind of like the black sheep of their family. And uh, but I still think, you know, even even as lonely and as sad as his figure is, I mean, the Logan kids 
are giving him some sort of gift because he wouldn't keep coming around them. I mean, they must give him some sort of friendship that's, you know, they, they, they still walk with him and every day he's meeting up with them along that road. So I don't know. I guess I just it would be nice if the parents didn't exist and it was just a bunch of kids having fun together and being able to play. But it's not. It's like it's his father. That's the problem. It's his older brothers. It's right. Yeah. I almost wonder if it it's they sort of sense, too, that it would be bad for him to hang out with them. Like, they sort of get the, it's not going to go well for Jeremy. He would be ostracized even more by yeah. his family, which obviously he already has a contentious yeah. relationship with. Yeah. It almost seems to me like it's like kindness through omission, though. Like, they never really are outwardly kind to him and, and, and let him come over and play and ask him about his day or, like, really sort of try to facilitate this relationship. But they have, like you said, they are kind to him. They let him sort of walk with them. They were okay when he came over to the house and he they accepted the present that he gave them. But it comes from a place of fear. And yeah. um, it's not it's not just like, a like yeah, I don't really care about you. It goes deeper than that. It's like what it will be the repercussions if, Char- if Charlie Sims comes over and sees Jeremy. He can't find Jeremy. He comes over and finds out he's hanging out at the Logan's house. He's playing mm-hmm. with those kids in the woods. I mean, not only, you know, he, I mean, I'm sure he would have gotten whooped, you know, within an inch of his life for that kind of behavior. His, his dad seems like, Should we know, talk about nice uh, child abuse, too? <laughs> <laughs> Corporal punishment yeah. is all over this book. Yeah. That in and of itself feels like an interesting time capsule of like child rearing. <laughs> well, directly from the parents, like child abuse or the fact that they were going to lynch TJ, who I think they say is 16. Yeah. He, oh, yeah. I mean, that's. Well, he's 14 at the start of the like 14. Is he 14? Or, or 13 or 14 because he failed the class one year. So he's a year. Yeah. He's supposed to be a year ahead. So T- Stacy is 12 at the beginning of the book. So TJ must be 13. I think he's 14 at the end of the book. Yeah. yeah. I thought that it's, yeah. it's something like that. Yeah. But good golly. Yeah. <laughs> when I read this book to the 10 year old I babysit for, um, I kind of made a disclaimer. And I was like, this book is a lot about uh, is about a lot of difficult things that black people went through in, in the South in the 1930s. But keep in mind that uh, Mildred Taylor always keeps the, the Logan family safe. So no matter what's going to happen, they're going to make it through. And I feel like just knowing that is such a relief because I feel like this book, there's so many moments that are so frightening and scary and just have you on the edge of your seat. And I wanted to know who's your favorite character because you said Jeremy was your second Ooh, favorite. Good memory. And I, because I have a favorite too. I have a couple favorites. Um, but I, I responded much more heavily to like him and TJ than I did to the family. Cassie in particular, she, I, I get that she's the narrator, but she also her, the narration style of Cassie felt so much more like omniscient than I thought mm. that the book had. A right to like she kept overhearing all of these conversations that I don't think a child would ever overhear, I and it, it, that. it bugged me a little bit. <laughs> and, and the recounting it. of the stories started to yes. take on a life of their own, where it was actually happening right in front of you, like when TJ's recounting what happened at the mercantile or whatever. Yeah. whatever. Yes, I felt like it was she was given the narrator status because it was written for children, but I don't think it was uh, done in the best possible and, way. Yeah. <laughs> 
Why, who's your favorite character? I love Christopher John. I feel like he's my little Aww. spirit animal. Like, I'm like, yes, I want to stay at home and warm and bed. And he finally and, does and like, it at the end. Yeah, and he's like, I'm not, you know, he doesn't want to be left behind. And like, you know, like half the time, like when he sees Uncle Hammer coming down the road, mm. like everybody goes running toward Uncle Hammer, but Christopher John carries his plate in his hand. It keeps his plate with him. Like, yeah. I love this little boy. Like He hates to miss he, lunch. He, yes, and he doesn't like to be left out, but like at the same time, he's just like, like guys, they told us to stay here. Let's stay here. So I yeah. feel like he's like my little safe spirit animal and I love him so much and then I felt bad for him at the end when he does get left out to look at the fields because honestly it teaches you kind of even though you might want to stay home even though you might want to stay home it's sometimes better to go along for the ride and just go for the adventure even though you might be a little scared yeah so I would like to give this book two chignons because I had to look that word up (laughs) I didn't know what it meant and it's hairstyle yeah it's basically like a low bun so um, we hear it twice in the book. So I'm going to give it two Xinyongs. <laughs> I'm going to give this book five stars out of five because I love it so much. What should I give it like five trees out of five or something like that? Oh, because yeah, you can do whatever. Yeah. Or you give it one pond named Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. Yeah, I know. Yeah, whatever. I, it gets it gets all the bales of cotton for me because I love this book. I I I it was my third time reading it, and I plan to read it more. You could give it all two thousand anchors. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's Not right. Just 200. I give it all 2,000 of Holland Grange's acres. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I think we've thoroughly discussed everything there is to think about <laughs> in this book. Oh, it's uh, never true. Never <laughs> true, and it won't be. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. It was such a pleasure to have you. Thanks thank for you. having me. Thanks for having me. Carolyn, as always, thank you. Oh, yes, always my pleasure. And we'll see you in two weeks. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Newberry Report. Our special guest today was Ashley Wilson. Join the conversation and tell us what you thought about the book on facebook.com slash Newberry Report. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y Report and at Newberry Report on Twitter. And never miss a show by making sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and all your favorite podcast apps. You can also find our show and some other terrific podcasts at www.racecarradio.com. The Newberry Report is hosted and recorded by me, Carrie Caston. My co-host is Carolyn Burns. It was edited by Austin Cologne. Our executive producer is David Hoffman. The Newberry Report is a production of Race Car Radio. And join us next time for the 1978 winner, Bridge to Terabithia, by Katherine Patterson.